You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine, produced in cooperation with AAHPM, the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Your host is Dr. Porter Story, Executive Vice President of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, and sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, a leader in pain management. As physicians, we are often called on to deliver difficult news to our patients. Joining us today to discuss methods of delivering difficult news is Dr. Gail Cooney. Dr. Cooney is medical director of the Hospice of Palm Beach County and president of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Cooney. Hello, Porter. Well, let's start with the best overall approach for physicians. What are some ways that you found appropriate for working with patients in difficult times? Some of how I begin a conversation depends on how well I know the patient to begin with. I'm often in a situation of having to deliver bad news to someone that I don't know very well. Hmm. And so I always like to begin by finding out how much they know about their illness. Their physician may have told them everything, but what they actually heard is often very different. Hmm. So I always begin with the question of, tell me about your illness. Because usually they know they've been sick. I'm pretty much always in that situation. And they will then begin to describe to me in their words, using their language, what has happened to them. And I try to give them enough time to begin to tell their story before I become physician-like and interrupt and direct them. And that then tells me where I need to start in the conversation. What kind of words do they use? Do they call it a mass on their chest x-ray? Do they call it a lump? Do they call it a cancer? How do I talk about what's going on? Do they expect to be cured? Do they know that they may die? Or are they somewhere in between? And that then helps me to lay out a blueprint for where I begin sharing the news and over what kind of time frame it may take and what kind of language to use in order to bring someone along. When it's important to deliver difficult news in a single setting, I like to start with what I call a warning shot, which is a statement that I'm afraid we have difficult news today. I was taught not to say I'm sorry, but to say perhaps I wish I had better news for you so that they know something's coming up that's going to be not what they were hoping for. Mm. And then I will try to say it in words that they can use and understand, but to be clear and fairly brief about what's going on. And then... The really important part is to stop talking. (laughs) One of the more difficult challenges for us as physicians. It's very hard because there is this instinctive urge to rush in with explanations and possible answers, but it's important just to wait and hear where the patient and family are when they hear the news so that what we explain to them is what they need to hear. You know, I went through this myself last year when I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And I remember sitting down with the GYN surgeon, and he was very clear. 
that we were dealing with ovarian cancer, and I wasn't to hope that perhaps it was congestive heart failure or a little hepatitis or something that might go away, you know, that this was what it was. And for me, that was very helpful because being a physician, I had a pretty good idea that that's what we were dealing with, but I didn't want it to be true. And his clarity really helped me then to focus on the next steps that needed to be taken. Boy, that must have been tough. It was very odd to be on the other side of the table. Hmm. I learned a lot, although being a physician puts you in such a different position in terms of knowledge and understanding. Not always a better position, but just a different position that I think it's you know good to take into account when you have physicians who are patients or family members. So you appreciated his directness. That was really appropriate in your situation. It was really helpful to me because I was trying my hardest to not go there. And I needed somebody to very clearly sit me down and say, this is what we're dealing with. And then he laid out some simple next steps, you know, and I I went home and melted down. (laughs) (laughs) Were there some things he could have done better? For me, he gave me exactly what I needed. I had my friends and family to hold my hands and cry with me. And I needed my physician to give me some clear direction over the immediate future, what the next steps would be. Has this affected how you take care of patients yourself? I don't think that it has yet, partly because, you know, as a palliative medicine specialist, I'm really very good at communication. And so if anything, I find myself judging others' communication styles when I'm in a healthcare situation. You know, I recently, my mother was hospitalized with advanced congestive heart failure, and it was clear that she was not going to recover. And I kept waiting for her doctors to talk to her about this. But it seemed as though every day there was something that would be a little better, and then maybe there'd be a bad day, and the next day there'd be something that got better again. And we were on this sort of roller coaster that was going nowhere, and it was clear to me that it was going nowhere, and the doctors knew it was not going where they wanted it to, but they remained so hopeful that I wanted to be able to let my mother know, you know, that her time was limited, and that she was not going to recover to where she had been before, and that she might die. And I ended up having that conversation with her myself. Wow. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Porter Story, and joining me to discuss the delivery of difficult news and physician-patient conversations is Dr. Gail Cooney. So with your own health situation and your mother's situation, can you give us some more pointers on how to set things up so they go well and how to recover when they don't? Stick to three basic steps when you are setting up a conversation to give patients a warning shot that this is going to be a difficult conversation. And just giving them a few seconds to absorb that, follow that with clear and direct communication of the difficult news, and then stopping and allowing the patient and family to react so that what you say after that is appropriate to where they are at. 
I think also I'd like to talk a little bit, Porter, about the things that one shouldn't say. Ah, uh, that's important. And I have had, as I'm sure you have, patients who come to you in very difficult positions because the wrong thing was said. Mm. The most obvious and the first one is always the statement that there is nothing more we can do. And it breaks my heart when patients come to me because they feel as though they have been dropped off a cliff. They're getting better, they're getting better, they're working hard, things are going well, and then suddenly it seems to them, and it it always seems very abrupt to them, and it probably wasn't, that suddenly there is nothing more we can do. And I tell them there is always something we can do, and there is focus on quality of life, there is symptom management, and we will be with you to ensure that things go as well as they can in this difficult situation. The second really awful doctor phrase is, do you want us to do everything? Don't you hate it? I do. Don't you hate that one? Um, Now that I've been a patient, who wouldn't want them to do everything? You know, of course I want you to do everything. What the problem is is that where what I'm asking about is very different than what my patients are hearing. What my patients are hearing is, I want you to do everything you can to make me well and to keep me comfortable. Everything that's helpful. They don't really recognize the huge range of medical interventions that we can throw at them. So their response is very personable. Sure, I want to get better. I want to get better. So it helps to be very specific to find out what kind of things they're hoping for, and then to work towards a discussion of what kind of treatments might be beneficial to them and what kinds might not. In the whole process of shared decision-making, I think it's very important that we as physicians don't abdicate our role to help to make recommendations. Mm. I think sometimes we feel as though all we can do is lay out options and the patient needs to choose among them with no description of why something might be indicated and something might be less helpful. So I think we owe it to them to explain the options and to give recommendations with some explanation, but tell them that I will understand if they choose something other than what I recommend, that it's not going to hurt my feelings because patients want to please us. They want to do what we want often. Well, it helps so much to know who you're talking with and to have a relationship there. It's just tough when we have to do this without that foundation. It is, but in my experience, it's often easy to fairly quickly find out where people are and what kind of values and decisions they have. These are not discussions that can be done in two to three minutes, but they're not discussions that take hours and hours. And again, listening to how people talk about their illness, listening to the kind of decisions they've made before, ask them what they're hoping for at this point, can really help to move a discussion along so that true shared decision-making can come about. Do patients seem to know when they're going to die? Oh, I know I've, I've seen, and I'm sure you have as well, the patient who waits for the daughter to arrive from California. And once she's there and they've talked, then that patient can let go. Um, I had somebody recently... The family had been with her for a week. She had five children. 
They were all gathered at the bedside, and one of our physicians asked her, who's not ready to let you go yet? And she pointed at her youngest daughter and said, her. Wow. You know, they talked and they cried, and she died that night. I can't explain things like that. Amazing. Well, it's nice to know that there are some aspects of communication that are not ours to design and control. What we can offer to people a lot is just listening, being present, listening to where they're at, giving them some guidance and direction where it's appropriate, but being there to listen and and to acknowledge what they're going through is, I think, a very important role we play as physicians. Well, that's a wonderful way to complete this discussion. I really want to thank our guest, Dr. Gail Cooney, for sharing her personal and professional perspectives with us and provide us with knowledge to better assist our patients during difficult times. Thank you, Dr. Cooney. Thank you, Porter. You've been listening to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, with your host, Dr. Porter Story. To download this program, please visit www.reachmd.com or on ReachMD's free ReachMD medical radio iPhone app. Perspectives in Palliative Medicine is produced in cooperation with AAHPM, the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, and sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, leaders in the field of pain management, and developers of a new educational initiative to improve the diagnosis and treatment of pain, pain balance. The King Pain Balance Educational Initiative includes a unique comprehensive website, www.painbalance.org, that offers a broad range of information and tools to help healthcare professionals and others better understand all aspects of pain, which by its very nature is difficult to assess, treat, and manage. Pain Balance offers the first convenient centralized online location for the resources and clinical tools healthcare professionals need to make informed decisions and provide the best possible care for their patients with chronic pain. The website, www.painbalance.org, also includes a narrative scenarios feature, which provides a case-based walk-through navigation tool to highlight the full scope of the website's resources, including pain categories and guidelines, treatment options, and risk management tips, and clinician tools and resources. Also, an online newsletter will help keep healthcare professionals at the front of the latest research, advances in treatment, issues on the policy and reimbursement fronts and other important news in the field of pain management. To learn more about the King Pharmaceuticals Pain Balance Educational Initiative, the high burden of undertreated chronic pain, and to preview the tools and resources available to healthcare professionals and others, visit www.painbalance.org.